Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. So, um, that's another one of the clips that I always like to show from one of my favorite Christmas movies that I, like I said last week, wasn't sure if I was allowed to talk about until Pastor spent like five minutes talking about it two Sundays ago. So now I'm talking about it all the time, you know. I, I've given, been given the license. So if you've ever seen the movie before, you know Clark Griswold is above and beyond Christmas decorator, right? And he has these elaborate, like, Christmas light setups and Santas and all this stuff in his front yard because he thinks bigger is better. But then he gets locked in this attic. His family goes somewhere, so he's stuck in this attic. He finds these old, like, like the old, like, I don't even know what you call them, the old, like, you know, movies on reel or whatever you call them. And he, he hooks it up and he's watching all these old Christmas, like, films from old Christmases. And Clark starts to realize, because he slowed down, and he stopped, he started to realize that Christmas was more about family than it was about all the lights. And tonight, as we're going through the life of Mary, we've been doing a series, a series is called Slaying It. And um, we're looking at some habits in the life of Mary, daily habits, because for Mary, it was a, you know, another day, another sleigh, spiritually speaking. Like she, she had these incredible habits, and I believe that's one of the reasons that God picked her, God chose her to be um, the one who would carry Jesus and, and, and be a part of God coming to this earth through Jesus. So the first week, uh, we, we talked about uh, the habit of surrender. Mary was up for anything God asked her to do. Then last week, we talked about the habit of praise. Remember, you know, there's like babies talking with babies and tummies and all this stuff, and then Mary gives this long praise chorus to God. Tonight, we're going to be talking about how Mary had the habit of wonder. You ever hear the term, the wonder of Christmas? A lot of times, people, th people talk about the little kids, you know, when it's Christmas morning, they wake their parents up at like the butt crack of dawn. You know, like, how many of y'all, when you were kids, you woke your parents up early on Christmas? Like, how many, anybody still wake your parents up early? Do it. I mean, just torture them as long as you can. At some point, you're going to be too old to torture your parents. You're not going to be living with them anymore. So torture them while you have them. Get them up early. But, you know, they talk about the wonder of Christmas. When you were a kid, you'd wake up and you'd go downstairs and the Christmas tree would have gifts under it and everything was just perfect the wonder of Christmas. But tonight, I think if we were honest and when we look at what, we look at this habit of Mary and finding the wonder of Christmas and the wonder of God working in, in our lives, this is kind of, if you boiled it all down to one thing we're going to focus on, it's this, that the wonder of Christmas is found in trusting God and not chasing the moment. Does that, does that make sense? If it doesn't make sense, I hope by the end of our time in Luke chapter 2 it will because the wonder of Christmas is not found in chasing the moment, it's found in trusting God. So if you have your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 2. And I've been the youth pastor here for 12 years now and I was trying to figure out how many times I've spoken at Refuel on the subject of Christmas. So Christmas comes how many times a year? Once a year. How many weeks are there usually between Christmas or Thanksgiving and Christmas? About four weeks. 12 times four, 12 years times four weeks of Christmas stuff. I've spoken about the Christmas story 48 times. And you might think, just to y'all, that doesn't count other places. So sometimes I, I think, am I ever going to run out of things to talk about? <laughs> When it comes to this Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. How many of y'all, you're very familiar with like the Christmas story. How many of y'all have seen it in the Peanut, you know the Peanuts Christmas movie? Where like Linus says, lights please. And yeah, and, and, and he's, every, has anybody, I'm not going to put you on the spot. It's like, how many, has anybody not, you need to go watch the Peanuts movie. It's on Apple, like Apple TV. It's great. Anyway, so 
this is a story that's very familiar to us. So the danger is sometimes when we read through this, we're like, I've heard this, you know. Mary, baby, born, shepherds, field, wise men. I, I, I get it. There's something in here that I just came across recently and maybe you haven't noticed it either and it's not anything that I found that's me being spectacular that it's found it. It's just that God's word, you can never exhaust the truth in God's word. You can read and read and read God's word and maybe some of our leaders who are older, they can attest to this and they can tell you for sure they're still reading God's word and they're still finding stuff even at whatever age they are today, they're still finding stuff in these passages. So we're going to read through the first 20 verses of Luke and you know me, um, we're going to kind of read and comment and read and comment a little bit. But does any, can anybody tell me where we are in Mary's story? What happened to Mary last week? Can anybody give me a... She visited Elizabeth. Who was Elizabeth? Her cousin. Was, was she the same age? Was Elizabeth younger, older? Much older, right? She's much older. So Elizabeth, why is it a big deal that she visited Elizabeth? What was significant about Elizabeth? She wasn't chubby. She was... Pregnant, right? Big deal because Elizabeth was too old to get pregnant. And then you have Mary. Mary's also pregnant. What's the big deal about Mary being pregnant? There was no baby daddy. She was a virgin. God uh, allowed her to miraculously conceive Jesus so that Jesus would be whole, so that Jesus would be not only God's son, but he would not be born with a sin nature. So, what do we know about Joseph? He was a little sad. He's like, hey, my fiance, this woman I'm supposed to marry, she's pregnant. And I can tell you for sure it's not my baby because I've been a good boy. So Joseph is thinking about maybe divorcing her, maybe cutting it off. And all this is going on. And what happens between last week and what we're going to pick up in Luke 2 this week is you can read about in Matthew chapter 1, an angel visits Joseph. And he says, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. She ain't been cheating on you. You don't need to go on that Maury Povich show and take a DNA test. She ain't been cheating on you. This baby in her belly is the son of God and he's gonna be the savior of the world. So Joseph, he, he continues to keep Mary as his fiance. They don't actually get married totally until after Jesus is born. Do you know that? You read, you read that. But in Luke chapter two, we learn something. Another crisis happens. You ever feel like your life is one crisis after another? It's like, once you finally get through this, this happens. Once you finally take this test, you have a test in another subject. One crisis to another. Well, here's the beginning of this crisis in Mary and Joseph's life. So let's read it together. We're going to kind of pick it apart, look at it a little bit. And there's one verse we're going to zero in on. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It says, In those days there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this, registra- this was the first registration when Quirinius, there's a name, Name your kid Quirinius. Nobody else will have that name. This first registration was when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Okay, what in the world do these verses mean? Well, the first thing we notice is what is, what is Luke? What is his occupation? A doctor. So what do, what do we know? What, what's something else we know about Luke? Why did, he write these, why did he write the book of Luke? Because he wanted to give an eyewitness account, an accurate account of the life of Jesus because there were a lot of haters, there were a lot of doubters. So he wants, he, he's writing this to say, me as a professional, 
as someone who's well-respected in the community, I'm going to chronicle what I know to be true and what I've seen about the life of Jesus. And he gives you some history. It was in those days. Jesus was historical. Jesus is not a legend. Jesus lived during what days? When Caesar Augustus was the, was the emperor of Rome and when Quirinius was governor of Syria. We don't know about much about Quirinius, but what we do know is that these were real people and real times, excuse me, that Jesus lived in. Jesus was a real person. But what was the decree? Let me change my color up here. The decree was that all the world should be registered. This word registered means two things. That a census was to be taken. Anybody know what a census is? Xavier. Yeah, to find out how many people there are. You know, every 10 years, the United States does a census. Good, good job, Xavier. He's, he's, he's a smart dude. Every 10 years, the United States tries to find out how many people are living in the country. The Roman Empire was pretty much the whole known world at the time. Not the whole known, not all the world, but a, a good portion of the world. And, the, and, and the, the Roman Emperor decided, I want to find out how many people are in all the different territories we occupy. Well, why did he want to do that? It was so that he could, this is a dirty word here, so that he could tax them. Do your parents ever complain about taxes? They're like, man, Joe Biden's making me pay all this money in tax. You know, something along those lines is probably something your parents say. So here's what had to happen. Everybody had to go back to where they were from, where their like, ancestors were originally born, and they had to register with Roman officials knowing that when they got back to wherever they were living, they would have a nice little tax bill in the mail that they would have to pay not to Joe Biden, but to the Roman emperor. So Joseph is living in this place up in the northern part of Palestine called Nazareth, and he's from this part all the way in the southern part of this Judean Palestinian area called Bethlehem. So he has to make a three to four day journey back to his ancestral hometown to pay the, to register and to pay these taxes and marries his espoused wife, his fiance. She's required to go with him. So she's like, there's a difference between being pregnant and being like really pregnant. You know, you ever see somebody walking down the road, maybe not walking down the road, <laughs> shouldn't be pregnant walking down the road. You, know, you ever see somebody at the mall or something and you're like, that woman could pop at any moment. I'm standing back. Like that pregnant. It says in here that she was great with child. So what has to happen, and we read about it, all went to be registered, each to his own town, verse three, and Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea. He made this three to four mile, or excuse me, three to four day trip with Mary to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Why? Because that was where he was from. He was of the house and lineage of David. And he was to be registered. There's that word, right? Census tax with Mary, his betrothed, they weren't totally married yet, who was with child. Other versions of the Bible say, great with child. She wasn't just pregnant, she was really pregnant. I mean, she, she could pop at any moment. But here's what a lot of people, you ever see those little nativity scenes, like at your grandma's house? And there's like barnyard animals, and there's this barn, and there's shepherds, and then there's Mary, and there's Joseph, and then there's wise men. They're not supposed to be in the nativity scene. We can talk about that later. And you get this idea that, yeah, I've even seen it in movies that Joseph pulling this donkey, Mary's like heaving and hoeing about to pop on this donkey and they get into Bethlehem at like 1 a.m. and they're knocking on every Motel 6's door and this gruff innkeeper's like, no room for you. And they go to the next hotel, 
no room for you. Well, the truth is Mary and Joseph had been in Bethlehem for a little while before Mary popped, before Mary it was time for her to have her baby. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. So they were already staying somewhere. And she gave birth. Let me change it up here. She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger. Let's talk a little bit about this because this is where yeah, movies get a little crazy. Grandma's nativity sets get a little crazy. The first thing is, she wrapped him in swaddling clothes. These were not dirty rags. I've heard that said before. Swaddling clothes were like these strips of cloth where like people in the Middle East, they would swaddle their baby. Anybody know what it means to swaddle a baby? When I became a dad, one of those nurses at Cabell Huntington, they, they, they showed me how to properly swaddle my daughter and I became a swaddling artist. Like if you bring a, ba if you bring a fresh baby right up here right now, I will swaddle it real good. I promise. So what they would do is they would wrap the baby in strips of cloth so the baby would feel comfortable, almost like it was back in its mommy's tummy and it, would feel, you know, it wouldn't cry as much. And that, so that was not, it wasn't just like, oh, let's find these dirty rags to wrap Jesus in. He was in swaddling clothes. And they laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And this is where people get the hotel thing. Like they, they went to the Hampton Inn, no, no room at the Hampton Inn. They went to the Hilton, no room at the Hilton. But I, I put a picture up here because this is kind of one of my pet peeves. This is one of my nerdy things. So I'll spend two minutes on this and we'll move on. But most scholars believe Jesus was born in a house. A first century Jewish house looked like this. And if you can see, to me this is cool. It helps me understand the Christmas story. Is that the first level of, the, of, of, of a house, and this is, a, yeah, this is what, these were tiny houses. The first level of this house, they would bring their animals in at night because it would be cold, because it would be dangerous, people would steal the animals. So they would bring their animals in at night and keep them on the bottom floor because the bottom floor was a dirt floor. So if, if, you, were, if you were living in the first century, like it would be nothing to go downstairs for a drink of water in the middle of the night and you bump into a cow. Or maybe not a cow, but you bump into a sheep or you bump into a goat. So they would bring their animals in the, bot, the, 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 the first floor of their house and then there would be a loft upstairs where the family would sleep. And yes, some of you could, yeah, if you have your own room or even if you share a room with a sibling, you can be glad that it's not like this because the whole family would just pretty much put out a blanket and they would all lay together. So if dad snores, you got nowhere else to go, right? And if you were a, maybe a little bit better off family than most families, you could build a little room on top, on the roof of your house, where guests could come and stay. And you know what they called that room? The inn of the house. Is this starting to make sense here? She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger. Where would the manger be? On the first floor of this house, on the ground floor of this house, where they kept the animals. Why? Because there was no room for them in the inn, the upstairs guest room. There was no room here because everybody had company over because the census was going. Does that, does that make sense? You ever had to stay at your grandparents' house and your cousins are in and your like fifth uncle twice removed is in and like the whole daggone family is in and there's like everybody's just crammed in this like your grandparents' like two bedroom house. Anybody ever had that happen? Like everybody comes into town, right? That's what was happening here. So if you're married, do you want to give birth next to like every cousin of your soon-to-be husbands that you've ever known? You're probably going to go downstairs and give birth where there's some privacy, right? And, and ah, I'm spending more than two minutes on this. This is exciting to me. 
Most of these houses would also have cut into the front of the houses. They would have mangers. So that if, here's a, here's a, here's a goat, okay? There's the horns. Is that a pretty good goat? Give him a tail. Oh, he needs two more legs. Okay, so that if a goat's on the outside, he could eat from the manger. And if the goat is on the inside, he could eat on the manger. So there were like these windows that had like feeding troughs in the middle. Does that make sense? Does it make sense? Feeding troughs in the middle. So how did the shepherds know to find Jesus? Did they go to every house in Bethlehem? No, they were walking down the street and there's this baby lying in one of these mangers and that's how they know to look for Jesus. So does that help you get a visual for what's going on here? Mary is staying, probably staying with Joseph's relatives. She gives birth to Jesus. She wraps him up in these clothes and she lays him in this manger. There's no room in the inn. Grandma and grandpa are up there. There's no room on the, the, the upstairs part of the house because cousin, cousin Eddie and all his kids are up there. So there's a place for her to keep her child, keep him warm and to care for him as he's just been born. Make sense? Okay. So, Mary gives birth to Jesus. I need to stop making that noise to describe giving birth, don't I? I've never done it. Not yet. Okay, so let's keep on reading. Adam's egging me on here. In the same region, you've heard this, there are shepherds out in the field and they're keeping watch over their flock by night. And then it says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Every time you read the, in the Bible about the glory of the Lord, it's described as this brilliant light that hurts people's eyes. You ever watch a movie at school? And it's the end of the end of the class period. The homeschoolers are all like, no, never watched a movie in school. Um, you ever watch a movie in school? And it's like getting to the end of the class period. So your teacher, without warning, throws on those lights and causes permanent damage to your retinas. Right? You, you know how that hurts when, when that light cl you clicks on for the first time and your eyes are adjusted, had been adjusted to the dark, and you're just like, all of a sudden these shepherds are out in the middle of nowhere looking at the stars. It's a, it's, a, it's a dark night. They're watching their sheep. And all of a sudden, bam, an angel appears in this light, this glory, the uh, glorious light of God is shining. And it says they were afraid. You think? <laughs> they, yeah, they were filled with great fear. And the angel says, just like he said to Mary, just like he said to Joseph, fear not. I've got good news for you. Unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who's Christ the Lord. Someone's coming to save you from your sins and he was just freshly born in Bethlehem. You need to go see him. This will be a sign for you. Here's how you'll find him. Verse 12, you'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. There's that strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Walk down the streets of Bethlehem. The first baby you see lying in a manger, gotta be him. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. Can you imagine that? All of a sudden, like a choir of angels is like in the middle of this field in the sky singing. I wonder what that sounded like. I mean, you thought the air was tore was like fire. I mean, imagine a choir of angels singing. You know I had to men mention her on her birthday. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those who he is pleased. So when the angels went away, the shepherds say, well, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to Mary and Joseph. And it says they went with haste. What does it mean to go with haste? I'm not a runner. I'm not a track star. They went with haste. They ran into town, into Bethlehem. And what does it say? They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger, just like the angel described. They see a baby in a manger. There's mom and dad who were kind of dad, stepdad with this baby. And they're like, this has to be him. 
So it says, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. I can imagine these shepherds, they're running up to Mary, and these shepherds are pretty stinky, pretty smelly. Yeah, they, they're with animals. I can imagine them running up to Mary, and they're like, listen, you're not gonna believe what happened to us. And Mary's like, try me. <laughs> Remember, she had been visited by the angel. You know, they're, they're like unborn babies talking to each other. Like, a lot happened to Mary. Not much surprises her. So she's like, try me. And they're like, this angel appeared to us. And she's like, yeah, been there, done that. And this angel told us that this baby's gonna be the savior of the world. And Mary's like, I know. And they keep going back and forth. And, and it says all who heard it. So apparently a crowd starts gathering out around this manger. And I mean, like Adam has said, I've never given birth before. But I can imagine like, can you imagine Mary? Like yeah, she just gave birth and now there's all these people gathered around her. It's like, oh, this is wonderful. Like, like can, can I kind of take a shower or something? Like she, she, all these people are gathered around and here's kind of where we're, we're gonna park for a few minutes. It says all who heard it wondered about what the shepherds told them. And here's the verse I want to zoom in on. But Mary, it's one of those big butts of the Bible. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. So you've got the shepherds and they're just talking real loud. I can imagine they're kind of like rednecks, maybe out in the field. You know, they're, they just kind of, you ever know people, they just talk so loud. Everybody hears them. Like everybody in the store hears them. I can imagine these shepherds are just talking real loud. Everybody's gathering around. And the, and the shepherd's like, now let me tell you, you know, just like when the, when the national news comes to West Virginia, they always find like, 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 like the, the, the most, like, like, I don't know how to describe this. They find the most stereotypical West Virginian. They find like this one lady who has like one tooth. She's, she's, she's like in her moo-moo. She hasn't done her hair in five days. And she's like, yeah, I saw him drive down the road there. You know, and she's on national news. I can imagine there's just like this one shepherd who's just a little louder than the other. And he's just like talking, talking. And everybody's like, wow, you mean there's an angel? What, there's a choir of angels? Yo, what song did they sing? What did they sound like? Did they have a band? Like, and there's all this talk about all this cool stuff that happened in the field of these shepherds. And then you've got Mary, the one who actually like experienced almost the whole thing, right? And she's just quiet, pondering all these things in her heart. Do you see the difference between the two? That's what I want to kind of focus on. This one verse for the next few minutes, and we don't have time to talk about it a whole lot, but as we think about this story, I want you to write down these, these three things that we learn about Mary and the wonder of Christmas. We can learn from wonder about Mary because she was different. What is the first word in this verse? But Mary. That's one T, by the way. But Mary. Mary was different. Her reaction to all this was different than the rest of the people around her. Mary was different. I put this picture up here. Oh, it's not up here. I put this picture up here of, of Rudolph because Rudolph knows what it means to be different. You know, part of being a teenager and even part of being an adult is sometimes, sometimes we don't want to stand out. We want to blend in. But Mary stood out and it wasn't because she was the loudest one in the room, it was because she was the quietest one in the room. You know, sometimes it's okay to be different. I'd actually say that in the culture that we live in, we should be more afraid of blending in than we are of being different. Does that make sense? Mary was different. Well, how was she different? She was dedicated. When I think of dedication, I think of getting up early. And how many of y'all, you do this sometimes? You have to get up super early. You set 
Nobody else does this? Nobody, okay, there we go. Bunch of liars. You set multiple alarms. Like, because you're dedicated. You said, I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna do this thing. Like, I'm gonna go to this early lifting session with my team. So I'm gonna set a million alarms so I don't lose out. Mary was dedicated. This, 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 this verb here, ah, this verb here, what it says is that she treasured up all these things. And this is written in what's called the continuous or imperfect. I definitely spelled this wrong. Um, or imperfect, meaning that this was something that she kept on doing. She kept on treasuring all this truth about this baby, about Jesus in her heart. The shepherds were all about the flash and the bang and the, and the excitement that happened. And it's okay to be excited about what God's doing. But Mary knew that she couldn't live on hype. She knew that she had to trust God. I wrote it down this way because I didn't want to get it wrong. Others were chasing the moment, but Mary was trusting God. Others were about the hype, but Mary was about her heart. And in our Christmas season, sometimes it can get so exciting to, to look at all the hype and to be about all the presents and to be about all the great things that, that are going on in our lives. But what happens when Christmas is over and we get into those you know, gray months of January and February? We can't live on hype. Mary was dedicated to this. She didn't, there's a lot here to unpack. We don't have time, but she did not want to forget what God did in her life. The next thing we learn about Mary is that she was deep. She was deep. It's kind of interesting that Mary was probably the most, hate to use the word, theological of all the, all the people in this story. You know, um, when we, we read about Mary, she asked really good questions. When Mary was visited by the angel, say, hey, you're gonna get pregnant with God's son. What does Mary say? She says, how can this be? She had a good question, didn't she? And she got a good answer. Later in this chapter, Jesus gets older and he is in the temple talking with the teachers of the law and Mary loses him. Mary forgets about him and she comes back and she finds Jesus and she says, where were you? Do you not care about me? She asks that question of the son of God. Mary, and she gets a really good answer. Mary asked really good questions. She thought about the truths of God. Yeah, and by the way, for some of you, for, some of you, yeah, for all you ladies, yeah, Ladies should be theologians too. Ladies should care about doctrine and the deep things of God too. You know, if, if you're around people that say, well, you know, y'all women could go talk about cooking and us guys will talk about the deep things of God. You need to run, right? Because you know, this is for you. This is for everyone, right? And Mary was very deep. She tied it all together. This word, um, for, this word for, for, for deep, here's, here's what it means. It means to ponder. It means to treasure up. It means to think about. What, what do you think Mary was thinking about when she was looking into the eyes of Jesus when all these other people were all about the hype? You think she's thinking, this is the baby that all of these books in the Old Testament said would come. This is the baby that when... <laughs> When I gave birth to him and he cried, it broke the 400 years of silence since the book of Malachi was written. This baby is gonna save me from my sins. This baby is gonna be a king. She was thinking through all this stuff. So while you have redneck shepherd talking about, yeah, I saw the choir of angels, and, I saw, and everybody's like, ooh, ah. Mary's thinking about the deep things 
the important things that Jesus was. Does that make sense? Mary stopped and pondered, pondered these things in her heart. And she pondered them all. We need to stop chasing the moment. We need to start trusting God. So write these, these four things down. You know, pastor's been on a roll, no pun intended, on a roll with some of his application points. Like last Sunday, it was stop, drop, and roll. Um, I kind of have some phrases here. They're not as awesome as Pastor Lemmings. But if we want to get some wonder reps with Mary, remember this is about building habits. It's about every day, yeah, every day another sleigh. So I got this, yeah, Riley's not here to see his wonderful graphic again, but here it is. If we want to make it a habit, getting some wonder reps with Mary, let's, let's think about doing these th three things. I wrote these out because I wanted to say them the way that would be helpful. The first is we need to slow it down. Don't be so quick to move on to the next thing. You're never going to have a consistent spiritual life if you live on hype. As a teenager, every next season is exciting. Some of you that are in sixth grade, you're thinking about when your parents are going to give you a phone or when you're going to be allowed to have a social media account. Those of you who are in eighth grade, you're like, next year I get to be in high school. And I get to be away from these immature people that are younger than me. When you're a freshman, you're thinking, soon I'm going to get my permit. And I'm going to drive my dad crazy learning to drive. And when you're 15, you're like, soon I won't have to drive with my parents in the car. And I'm going to get my license. And then when you're 17, you're thinking, soon I'm going to graduate. And I'm going to be a college man. The next season always seems more exciting, doesn't it? But I wrote it down this way. Don't look forward to your next season at the expense of missing what God's teaching you during this season. The senioritis is going to set in, seniors. You're going to be ready to be done with those people at that school. And that's okay. But God is still teaching you things, even in your last semester of high school. So you need to slow it down. The next is turn it off. Uh, oh, I got some verses here. Be still and know that I'm God. You won't know who God is if you can't be still. The second is Jesus. He says, are you tired, worn out, burn out on religion? Come to me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. You have permission to slow it down. Um, the next is turn it off. Sometimes when life is a little too overwhelming, we try to live through other people's lives. We try to live through fake lives that are on our favorite Netflix show. Our screen time tells us, I put it this way, this was convicting to me. Our screen time report provides, proves to us that we can set aside a time each day to spend with God. You won't find contentment in the content that's on your phone. You're going to find contentment in the content that's in this book. We need to turn it off. Mary would have found a way to do it even with all these redneck shepherds japping their jaws. If she could do that, you can find a way to do it while your parents are blaring a TV, while your siblings are being ridiculously annoying. And I, even, I think I even put it on your, when, your ball, your, when your dog is acting bipolar. Uh, <laughs> turn it off. Remove the distractions. The next is write it out. You know, Mary was probably illiterate. She, did, she probably didn't, couldn't write a whole lot anyway. But in her mind, she was writing. In her mind, she was putting her thoughts to words. Maybe the best thing you can do is write down what God's doing in your life. And then the final thing, think it through. Mary had some good questions. 
Sometimes I think we're afraid to ask questions at church. We're afraid, you know, what do people think if I ask that question? The worst question is the one that goes unasked because when a question goes unasked, it goes into this deep, dark place in your heart and it festers and it gets nasty and it's poison to you spiritually. I wrote it down like this. When big things happen, let your emotions make you thoughtful instead of fearful. Maybe there's some things going on in your life right now. Like Mary, (laughs) she had a lot going on in her life. And instead of letting those emotions make her thoughtful, or excuse me, make her fearful, she let those emotions make her thoughtful. Emotions aren't a bad thing, but they're bad when they take us away from thinking about the things that God wants us to think about. Christmas is here, or it's almost here. The question is, do you have time to slow it down, turn it off, write it out, and think it through? Be like Mary, create this habit of pondering what God's doing in your life. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to wrap some gifts. Sound good? Okay. Um, We don't usually do this, but find a person next to you, just put your arm around them. Sometimes Christmas season can be a lonely season for people. Put your arm around them. It's okay. We're in church. All right. So here's what I want you to do. Everybody take a big breath in. Before you do that, don't breathe. Don't breathe. Nobody breathe. Close your eyes now. Take a deep breath in. Now let that breath out. And just stop. Be quiet before God. Before this gets real crazy and wrapping paper goes everywhere. Take a moment right now as you're holding on to your brothers and sisters in Christ to think about what God's been doing in your life. Have you been going through a very discouraging season? A very busy season? A scary season? An exciting season? First, acknowledge that God's working in your life, whether things are good or bad. Second is, dedicate this season of your life to God. Let's pray. And God, thank you that in this very short verse here that tells us what Mary did, we see an example to follow. We see someone who was a teenager, someone who had things going on that could be very overwhelming, had a lot of distractions around her, yet it didn't take her focus off of you and what you were doing in her life. She saw Jesus for who he was, the savior of the world, and she saw how his story and her story came together. And God, I pray that in this Christmas season, with everything going on in our lives, from students to leaders, God, that we'll be able to see what you're doing in our lives and how it always points us back to Jesus, who loved us so much that he gave his life for us. In Jesus' name, amen. 